This podcast is produced by The Brand is Female. Say hello and welcome back to the Matriarch Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Shayla Olette Stonechub, and I'm very excited and honored to have Kelly Bustalis here with me today. She's a writer and a journalist that's based in Toronto. However, she's from Six Nations Reserve. You may have seen her work uh, featured in the New York Times, in Refinery 29, in El Canada, in The Walrus, in the Toronto Star. I was introduced to her through my Vice interview. Not only that, but she just wrote an article that features some of your favorite Indigenous influencers, such as Notorious Creed, James Jones, Indigenous Baddie, Michelle Chubb. There she talked about the making and meaning of their powwow regalia and taking dancing online on TikTok. Uh, that is the September issue of Fashion Canada with Ashley Collingbull on the cover. So I invite you to go purchase, buy out one of those. Uh, we talk about Kelly's journey, her journey as an Indigenous woman in the journalist industry and how she continues to find her voice through amplifying others without further ado. I'm very excited to have Kelly Bustalis here with me today. Kelly, thank you. Hi, hi for joining me today. If you just want to introduce yourself, where you're from, a little bit about you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Shayla, for inviting me on. Um, I'm Kelly Bustalis. I'm from the Six Nations Reserve. Um, My mom is from Akwazasne. My dad is from Six Nations. And I've lived on the Six Nations Reserve up until I was about 19. Um, And now I currently live in Toronto. um, And I am entirely freelance uh, journalist um, and doing my best to uplift Indigenous voices. And how was that experience uh, for you moving from Six Nations to a big city, uh, Toronto? How was that transition for you? Uh, It was a little different, but I feel like I kind of always had aspirations to live in a big city. Um, I used to write on my community newspaper back home. Um, It's uh, no longer, but it it was called (laughs) the Tegawanake. And we did like we did everything like I there was only three of us and so you know I covered everything from like lacrosse games to like 90 year old twins birthdays so you know (laughs) it was an amazing experience but at a certain point I wanted to um you know have our stories on a bigger stage so I knew that Mm. I had to I had to leave the reserve to do that and so you mentioned you're freelance right now. However, have you always been a writer? You said you've been doing this, um, whether you're writing about a hockey game or about a birthday party. How long have you been uh, writing for? Um, I was kind of that kid that was always writing the short stories and forcing their friends to read it. Um, so it kind of seemed like a foregone conclusion that I was always going to write. I just didn't know where. Um, and so when I graduated university, uh, moved back home and then I wrote the community newspaper and then I wanted to write for other large magazines and, you know, be, have indigenous representation in publications where I wasn't seeing us, but Mm -hmm. in order for me to get there, I needed to go to back to school and which was in Toronto. So I, I did, um, some journalism, uh, schooling here. And then I, um, I didn't move back. I started writing um, based off of an internship 
and became a staff writer for like seven years at um, wow. a film, yeah, a film and TV trade publication. Um, and I was there for a long time, and it was you know good practice, but I just didn't feel fulfilled about what I was writing mm -hmm. about. And it was um, when I had my second child, um, and he's almost five now. Uh, at the end of that mat leave, I had a friend ask me if I was interested in covering something for him. And he was a, now an editor at um, Now Magazine. And so I said, sure, why not? And then more or less never looked back. And that was an Indigenous focused story then. And that's all I've been doing ever since. And with so much experience in this industry now, you said that you have been, this has been your life's work as writing. And have you seen any changes from, you know, back in the day when you're going to university to now when it comes to Indigenous representation in um, the industries and in mainstream media and in mainstream spaces? Is it changing and evolving? I feel like it is changing. And what's changed, I believe more than anything is the interest in our stories um i mm. guess you know the validity of our stories that they belong in those publications i mean there's still not a lot of editors i work with who are indigenous there's not a lot of you know senior roles held by indigenous people so that part has been the same um Right. But, but yeah, the interest has always, you know, well, I wouldn't say always, but since I have focused strictly on this path, the interest has just been growing and growing and growing. And I'm curious to know, like, is there protocols or rules or regulations that you have to follow when you're writing for someone? I'm sure it is different depending on who you're writing for. But like, is there words you can't use or do you have to like censor yourself? What does it look like behind the scenes? Um, I wouldn't say I censor myself, but I would say that I bend the rules because of yeah. <laughs> who I'm speaking with, because I feel such a huge responsibility to the people that I'm speaking with. And a lot of the times there's things, there's, you know, cultural sen sensitivities for sure, but also understanding, um, you know, coming from a community myself. I know if I were to put something in, um, you know, I, in terms of breaking the rules, I have, we're not supposed to send the person like the full story because the worry is always, they're going to say, oh, I didn't sound, I didn't say that, or I don't mm. sound, yeah, I don't sound as good uh, as I thought I did. And then they'll change it. <laughs> That's so true. I've actually read interviews about me and I'm like, did I actually <laughs> phrase it like that? Like in my head, I was thinking this sounded way more powerful <laughs> and way more articulate. And I just repeated like the same word three times. <laughs> that that's so funny. Um, but that's one thing I've been curious about, because like working for like television, um, like hosting a show, I realized like when I was filming, like sometimes the stuff I would say would never go to screen. And so I can imagine maybe sometimes stuff you say never goes to print because um, I for me, it's like I realize at the core of these foundations, um, it is a lot of the uh, white people and a lot of um a lot of things are controlled through, I don't know, the government and a lot of other things. Like there's these all these nuances that you don't understand until you're actually working for someone. And then you're like, I never knew that 
um, this existed or the way that I present myself to the wor- world can be fragmented depending on who wants me to be viewed a certain way. I don't know if I'm articulating myself this, but do you understand? Like, um, oh, absolutely. I guess, yeah, sometimes it's... I, I purposefully try to put the term we into my stories when I'm referring to Indigenous people. Because I feel like we have never mm. had that, the, you know, the go-to voice and narrative and all of these things are not us. So, um, yeah, that's been a, a huge thing. And then I wind up usually having to put myself in the story because I have mm. to, you know, be linked to the we. And I've heard people say, you know, that's not our style to use we and we aren't, you know, those editors aren't Indigenous. So, you know, we make right. compromises, but that's one thing that I always like to try to sneak in, depending on, you know, the publication, if it allows it, but to put our voice in there as much as possible. Yeah, yeah, that's so important. And you said that, like, it is so important to have Indigenous representation, but I'm curious as to why you think it is so important. I mean, just growing up, you know, I saw people who looked like me, variations of me, (laughs) all over the reserve. And then as soon as I left, you know, I didn't see it anywhere around me. And I'm just thinking, you know, I went to university and so many of my friends either didn't go or left, you know, and uh, came back home. And I know that that's a problem with a lot of, you know, off you know, reserve schooling is it's really hard to leave your community and because you don't see yourself there. You don't see, Mm -hmm. you know, that comfort level isn't there. So I felt that. And I also felt um, that I didn't, I'm a huge magazine media, like I consume tons of magazines, newspapers, and I just never saw us. And it's Mm -hmm. like, feels like we don't exist. And I know that, you know, there's a tons of kind of other ethnicities and cultures that aren't represented. And I hope Mm -hmm. that I can cover that respectfully as well. But, you know, representation is so important in seeing yourself in other places. It it does so much to the spirit and to self-esteem. Yeah. And it's, I think it's about like relating and connecting to one another. When I read someone's words and I feel represented, I feel like a relationship to that writer and connected to like sometimes we feel so isolated in the world I feel like writing brings us together and it creates like a sense of belonging belonging and it's very nourishing to the soul especially when it's like other indigenous kin um I realize like going to school though too going to university is probably an incredibly isolating experience too I would imagine, maybe I'm completely wrong. Um, how was your experience going through university in a colonial system? Um, I think like the main example is, so I lived in a residence as soon as I I lived there. And I thought that that would be a good way to make friends. And that is where I, I did. But my my the name of my, basically my giant dorm was called Saugeen Maitland. And mm. anytime I spoke to any indigenous people, person who was like oh you're going to you know the university it was called the university of western ontario then 
um, you know, where are you staying? And when I would say Sagin, they would think that I meant like the Sagin community. And I had to be like, oh, no, 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 that's something very different. <laughs> so it was like, I feel like that was a good example of like the huge divide between right. being in that university space named after that. And then meanwhile, it's totally <laughs> separate. Um, yeah, I mean, I found some of my best friends uh, that I'm still friends with are there. They're not Indigenous, but yeah, it mm. was it was tricky. Um, it was a good place to go and, you know, learn uh, about the world, but I wouldn't say I necessarily learned more about being Indigenous there. Right. And then, like, how would you... Because like for me, I have certain things that I do to bring a sense of sacredness or like to bring a sense of belonging in my own home because I do live in a city and sometimes it is hard to feel connected. And so are there practices that you had in place, whether what it's in university or now that help you reclaim your authenticity and feel connected to your own identity and to your roots? I guess just going home, uh, you know, coming back home to my the home I grew up in has a giant backyard and getting to be out there and not seeing any, you know, streetlights or roads or anything mm -hmm. and being, being with my family. And that is a huge part of it. Um, and, you know, I talk to my parents every day and every year, I think even when I was in university, we would go to my mom's community of Akwesasne and spend a week out there with a ton of aunts and uncles and grandparents and cousins. And that's, that is a huge part of grounding me. Mm, yeah, home and connection and just being with one another. Um, I'm interested to know about your creative process too when it comes to writing something. I've realized for me when I have certain deadlines or when I have certain, um, yeah, like timelines in place, maybe sometimes I can't get into like a creative flow that I'm used to when I'm on my own timeline. Um, and so what inspires your creative uh, writing process? Um I'm very deadline driven. If I don't have a deadline <laughs> looming, then I am... <laughs> I have no concept of time. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, and I find that, you know, especially this month, uh, well, June uh, has been, uh, I've been so busy, so many requests. Mm -hmm. And so I'm jumping from one story to another, but just the practice itself of writing is so good at making me a better writer. If I'm writing every mm. single day on deadline, then I am you know, I feel like that that actually helps. And the lulls are where it makes it harder for me to get back into the, you know, mm. the swing of things. Right. Into like the flow of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, did you have any like writers that you looked up to growing up or any writer writers that you're currently inspired by that are challenging uh, mainstream perspectives and perceptions? I love Connie Walker and I love Tanya Talaga. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just interviewed Tanya Talaga. I have so much respect like for all the Indigenous writers out there, too, because I realized that a lot of our history is, well, it's not written from us. It's written by like a colonial perspective. And so there's not like a lot of like you're saying, like, where do you get like in mainstream society? They're like, you need to source your stuff. But like a lot of this is passed down through oral tradition. And yeah, listening to Tanya's story um, just going into an industry that you don't have a mentor really it's like you're just walking in um 
yeah, yeah. I'm very inspired by Tanya too. Yeah, I loved her episode. I listened to it. Um, oh, did you see? Yeah, and I find actually she, um, her, and there's a few other um, indigenous writers and non-indigenous writers who it, and they're all female, I'm finding, is it becomes like this giant network and everyone's willing mm. to, you know, lift one another up. And I don't, I don't find that on the men's side at all. Uh, it's, mm. you know, people I barely even know who like reach out to me, we have a coffee and then all of a sudden they're recommending me for something or I'm thinking of them for something. And it's just like a really beautiful network of, you know, just these female writers looking out for one another. And I'm really appreciative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so important. Um, yeah, just having that connection to other writers and knowing that you're not alone. Mm -hmm. uh, what would your advice be for the younger writers out there, for the younger generation who want to uh, get into the writing industry, maybe want to start to freelance? What would your advice be? Um, that we need you we you know there's there's so uh it seems like there's a lot of us but we are just all working extremely hard to to put out what we are and um you know i'm happy to talk to any indigenous writer who wants to get into this and um i can make connections i can make introductions but you know mm. the main message is that there is a huge appetite for our stories finally told by us and that, um, you know, we we need you out here telling these stories, too. We need to grow this network. Mm hmm. Yeah. Now more than ever, like you're saying, like June has been such a big month. I can barely keep up with <laughs> it. And I'm sure you're the same way. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> We need to create like our own agency. Is maybe that's something we need to do in the future? <laughs> Writing agency, putting it out there. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, what would your advice be for like non-indigenous people that are wanting to support indigenous communities and indigenous writers? Is there ways for people to support us or to be allies or advocates? What would your advice be for non-indigenous people out there? I think just, you know, reading what we're putting out there, um, like really reading it though, really listening to it, paying attention, sharing our work, um, that goes a long way. Um, yeah, I feel like a lot of people are looking to Indigenous people as to what to do, especially right now. And mm -hmm. I don't know if, you know, knocking down our doors to find out what they should do is the right um, thing. I'm feeling like a lot of Indigenous people are like super taxed right now. Um, mm -hmm. I don't just basically, you know, there's tons of resources out there to check them out, to read what they can, <laughs> written by Indigenous people. Um, and, you know, have those conversations, um, that they need to have. Don't necessarily, mm -hmm. yeah, don't necessarily expect an indigenous person to lay it all out for them at this point, because it is, it is exhausting. It's a lot. And I got like asked to be a part of this interview and they're like, can you, um, explain something in a minute? You only have a minute. I'm like, I can't sum up the entire like history and what's currently happening within our communities <laughs> in a minute. So I'm like, so, so my advice is give us more than a minute. <laughs> <laughs> that is really good advice. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> 
But there is so much happening um, within the collective right now. Right now, we're recording this uh, the end of June, the end of Indigenous History Month. We have uh, Canada Day coming up on July 1st. How are you feeling with everything that is currently happening? Are you feeling uh, depleted? Are you feeling like it's finally time? Um, Yeah, how are you feeling with everything that's going on? I Yeah, I feel depleted. Um, I'm just trying to to do my best. But all, all I can do is I can think I just keep thinking about how we we have known this all along. And I'm thinking mm-hmm. of like in schools, once we our schools, uh, high schools were all off reserve, unless we were doing Mohawk immersion on my reserve. And um, every time the the national anthem played, kids would sit down. And I totally understand that. And they, at that time, which was like the late 1990s, people didn't, teachers didn't understand it. And mm-hmm. um, I feel like now people are finally starting to understand it. But it, it's the, the depleted part is because we have known this all along. Um, and I don't know, I'm I have small kids, so it's even more uh, close to me knowing mm-hmm. that, you know, my kids are almost the age that they would have been removed from, from the home to go to residential school. And my community had its own residential school. And I know community members who went there. And it's just, it's it's exhausting. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just hope that um, the rest of the country can reflect on a lot of these things that have come out and make their decision based on that. Um, at the same time, I've had turned down several opportunities to say, to more or less do like finger wagging articles of what people should do. <laughs> I'm not in the business of telling people what they should do. I think that, you know, there's plenty of good evidence out there right now as to what can, you know, make their decision. Um, but yeah, I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, I feel the same way. Um, and I feel like not only did you say like we have known this our whole lives and people are finally listening, but I think a lot of us have also been telling non-Indigenous people what they need to be doing. And so mm-hmm. you don't really have to look that far to have the answers. And yeah, I, I'm like, when when are we celebrating Indigenous History <laughs> Month? <laughs> next next year <laughs> maybe on canada day but obviously we won't be celebrating canada day we'll just <laughs> so, what are your thoughts about canada day um now that we bring it up my thoughts yeah like have you did you celebrate canada day growing up cuz like for me i grew up in medicine hat like i'm from muskegon but i grew up in medicine hat and like my old side's the metis side but um my extended family like obviously celebrated Canada Day. And so like I remember growing up as an indigenous um like girl and just not understanding Canada Day as much. So like I there's photos of me out there wearing like red and white. I'm like, oh please don't resurface <laughs> these photos anytime. But like as I grew older, I began to understand the history. And then I was like, okay, I'm never celebrating Canada Day again. But there was like a lot of cognitive dissonance because when the whole country's celebrating, you're kind of like, what do I do? Like, where do I belong? Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I'm curious to know about your thoughts around Canada Day. 
I'm trying to remember if I ever did as a kid. I feel like it <laughs> must have happened, but I have no actual yeah. recollections. But because my kids are now in, you know, in Toronto schools, they're doing Canada Day stuff. My daughter showed me her flag she drew this morning and I just kind of went, huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I didn't, right. <laughs> didn't have it in me for that chat this morning, but... <laughs> But the same thing is like it's, you know, it's taught in schools, um, particularly non-Indigenous run schools. And um, I don't know. I haven't celebrated it. I don't find it to be a celebration. I think particularly Mm -hmm. around the time of like Canada 150 and the response from a lot of Indigenous artists and, you know, a lot of people on social media were basically saying why we're not celebrating that. And I think it was really then that that probably stayed in my head a little bit more, like a more mm-hmm. more visceral understanding of, oh, yeah, that's why I don't really feel this holiday. Um, yeah, my kids might find a tiny Canadian flag and wave it, and that yeah, that might be it for this year. <laughs> well, it brings me up to like this other thought I was just having. Um, someone slid into my Instagram DMs and they're like, I just saw on television a Canadian flag, but it was like an indigenized like maple leaf and it was like, I don't know, it represented both. And they're like, how do you feel about that? And I was like, this is just like, so condescending in my head. Like, I don't think you can indigenize like the Canadian flag, like, because we're older than the state itself. So it just like really threw me off. And um, when we bring up this idea of decolonization, um, do you how would you define decolonization? And is it possible to decolonize a colonial entity? Um, I think you can try. Um, if you know, mm-hmm. it depends on how, like, you know, how ingrained are these institutions that we're trying to decolonize. Like, that's mm. part of what I'm trying to do in my work is to decolonize some of these like women's magazines and newspapers and websites. And how I said before that I always try to put we in it. Um, I'm just trying to get the Indigenous point of view out there in in media and particularly in spaces that we're not normally seeing. Um, decolonizing is, you know, bringing the Indigenous point of view back is what I would think. And I feel like that's something that it, that I'm more recently... Um, thoughtful of um, in terms of, you know, I wrote an article a year or so back about the um, the practice of burning, burning the grass and burning the ground in order to revitalize it. And mm. that happens more on the West Coast. And then, but it came from the seed of that story came from Um, a New York Times article that mentioned one line. It was about, you know, the raging wildfires in California. And it was a teeny little line that basically said, if Indigenous people had continued doing their fire practices, we wouldn't be here. And then Mm -hmm. that totally kicked off my other story. And now it's kind of infiltrated my entire way of thinking of if Indigenous people Mm. had just been allowed to take care of the land, where would we be? If Indigenous people had kept their languages, where would we be? So, um, yeah, I often 
think of decolonizing in terms of my work, but also in the way that we live. Mm-hmm. I think I know which article you're talking about. I read that very line and that totally shifted my perspective of things too, because I didn't even know that's something we did. And so I think reclaiming our knowledge and like you're saying, our languages and our way of life is essential, not only for indigenous people, but like for the whole collective, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's so essential right now. Mm-hmm. Um, And through your career, what has been, you know, one of the highlights within your career and maybe one of the challenges that you have experienced? Oh, I don't know. I feel like I I could have like a serious answer and a more fun answer for you. <laughs> Whichever one you want to begin with. <laughs> oh, let's go with fun. Um, so I was just watching Letterkenny the other day and I had, I was thinking like, why are there Indigenous characters so good? And then I started looking into who made it. And I was like, okay, it's these two white guys. How in the world is this possible? And I couldn't find like a writer's list. And it it, like nothing added up as to how the representation was so good. So essentially, Mm -hmm. I pitched that as an article and wound up getting to talk to some of the Indigenous cast members and then the people who made the show. And it was more or less me just being like, this is this is curious. I need to sort out this mystery. And then it became like a whole thing because there's a huge like rabid Letterkenny uh, fan base. And so it really (laughs) got to put their indigenous cast and storylines like in focus for for once. Mm -hmm. I feel like that part Mm -hmm. of the show hadn't really been talked about or examined. So that was that was pretty fun to just have like a thought and or a question and then getting to answer it for um, mm. a magazine and it going like everywhere. Yeah, that was fun. Sorry, who are the who are the actors? Do you know? Was one of them Jade? I think her name is. Yeah, I spoke with her. I spoke with Jade and I spoke with Gunadio Horn. Oh, sweet. I'm going to have to read that interview and watch the episodes. Let her get in. Yes. <laughs> so how did they authentically represent them like did they consult with them absolutely it was like they would come up with lines or before they even started to Mm. write they would call or like text or email the you know the main cast and be like you know what what what's really bothering you these days or what are you thinking about these days and then they would incorporate it and then it would come to like here's like we're writing the script would it really sound like this if you said it and then they would come back and say you know we absolutely would not say that and then it would change and so it was really like a (laughs) collaboration was a a huge part as to why um that that element of the show is so realistic and authentic Mm, i think that's another way of looking at decolonization is like through co-creation and through collaboration because i'm the same way like i i know a few lines people have wanted me to say for auditions i'm like i would never say this or this is racist (laughs) like this is why it's essential to hire more indigenous writers and consultants so that you are authentically representing us absolutely a (laughs) hundred percent um and then the next one one of the challenges challenges um i don't know what the i guess for me right now in june is being exhausted by Mm. all of these requests like i've had to turn down so much and i'm trying to um find a network 
and say, okay, if not me, how about you try this person? Um, mm. So I guess mm-hmm. the the work level right now is really challenging, especially because, you know, I have um, my husband working in the basement and I have, it's like, we're, we're all jammed up against one another in our house. So it's even harder to work from home with my kids over in another room and, I know many other yeah. many other people have the same <laughs> problem right now, but yeah, it's just like the workload and being able to manage during COVID at the moment. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's <laughs> something that we can all relate to right now is working from home, and it just makes everyone more humble and human. I feel like because we're all going through the same um, kind of challenges. Uh, so for the rest of 2021, what do you hope for um, in the future, for your future or just the future in general? Um, for my future, I hope that I'm still putting out articles that tell our stories in a positive way um, to highlight our achievements and our successes and that, you know, they're recognized by both. I want an indigenous, particularly youth, to see these stories. Um, mm. I want them to like stumble upon them at the doctor's office, like flipping through and then seeing another indigenous person excelling in some sort of field. Like, um, mm. and I feel like in a way I'm putting role models out there into, into yeah. the world. So I want that to, to continue to happen if it, if it is happening. Um, and yeah, and I, I want to continue to put these stories out into non-Indigenous media spaces so that other, you know, non-Indigenous people can can see our faces and realize, you know, mm-hmm. we're not stuck in the past. We're not our traumas. We are not um, these negative portrayals and try to combat those um, falsehoods about us is what mm-hmm. I am hoping and for all of us i just hope you know the we get to we get to breathe again and not feel so awful with all of the necessary discoveries that are happening um but yeah i feel like there's a lot of pain in our communities right now reopening old wounds and i just hope that everyone's okay mhm yeah literally yeah you don't realize um how deep the wounds run until they're resurfaced and then you're like oh like I was totally caught off guard this month and yeah um I agree I think that as much as um it's re-traumatizing it's also I don't know it's like a it's it's providing a lot of clarity and I think a lot more non-indigenous people are finally waking up and like you're saying wanting to learn from us and wanting to learn our stories and you mentioned wanting to create more role models, and it comes up to this idea of matriarchy. And how would you define matriarchy? And is there matriarchs that you are inspired by? Uh, yeah, uh, matriarchy is, um, you know, the the powerful women who uh, take control. They have knowledge. Usually, they usually have humor. Um, and I, I am lucky that I have many of them in my life, my mom, my grandmother, my aunts. Um, yeah, I just feel like there's a lot of uh, very strong women, Indigenous women in my life. And I'm very proud 
to know them all. Mm-hmm. What what uh, do you have on the horizon for the next of 2021? How can people continue to support you and all your work that you're doing? Um, read, read my work, read <laughs> work written by other indigenous people and, you know, share it in on social media, share it with their families. Um, yeah, that's about it. Unless you're an editor and then you're asking me <laughs> to write for you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah we'll throw your throw your email in <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've got i've got some big uh well not big but some exciting stories that i can't talk about that aren't out yet but um it's solidified to me and what i think that other people should do is you know just just go for it there's no harm in trying something and all you're gonna get is a no um because i actually haven't had that many no's trying to write mm. our stories in these publications. Um, so I just kept aiming higher. And so hopefully you'll see my work now in some other exciting publications. I'm super excited. I mean, this has been a big year. There's so much to write about. And I feel like this is just the beginning. Who knows what's in store for us and for the rest of the world. There's so much unknown dynamics happening. <laughs> Absolutely. But Thank you so much uh, for joining me here today, for sharing a little bit about your story, your challenges, your successes. I look forward to supporting a lot more of your work. If you just want to, any last words you have? Hi, hi. Thank you so much. Um, just thank you so much for speaking with me. I love what you're doing with your platform. Hi, hi. <laughs> thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I would love your feedback. Follow me on Instagram at Shayla0H at matriarch.movement. And don't forget to subscribe on the pod platform of your choice and review and rate where possible. I'll be back in a week. Hi, hi. Thank you so much for tuning in. <laughs>